choir, and thank you, Dr. Long, for that. Well, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Colossians one last time. We're going to finish our study there today. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Uh, and as you turn there, let's just get a couple housekeeping things out of the way. One, uh, I did not have the same printing troubles that Ben had this morning, but like Ben, this sermon was written in between various activities at camp and on the way home yesterday. And so, what that means for you is one of two things. This could be very short, or this could be very long. Also, I could break out and shout at any point. Um, we could break out in song at any point. A lot of things could happen. So just brace yourself for that. Um, just get ready. So, with that in mind, let's read this together. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Uh, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts, that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers of the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Lady Osea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, we pray that you would work in our hearts in a mighty way that you would join us together as your people, and that we would worship you as one people, with one voice, the one who has saved us and who has redeemed us. Lord, be with us now, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure it is obvious by now that I, and so many others here in our church today, both kids and adults alike, uh, we love Camp Week. And we love it for a whole host of reasons. Uh, there are, as Ben has already mentioned to you, a whole lot of new adventures to be had. There are waterfalls to slide down. There are trails to hike. There are poles to jump off of. Uh, there are random late-night walks around the lake. There are so many things to test our courage, so many adventures to be had. Uh, we also love it, particularly for this group that went this week, for the intense competition that is there to be had. I want to inform you that we had two, three camp champs this week. We, uh, Parker and Sam won the, the pickleball tournament. Uh, and then Nita, she got a, a camp champ shirt too for her, um, I don't know if you've seen the video, it's, it goes like this, and she was winding up streamers on her arm. Anyway, you'll get to see it later, but it was amazing. And she won. 
And I also want to tell you um, that not only did we compete intensely, but we also encourage intensely. So, you know, the very first night, the, the, the speaker, he was kind of welcoming everyone, and he failed to mention Mississippi. And that didn't go over well, as you can imagine. We let him know that we were there, and apparently we made it our mission for the rest of the week to let them know that we were there. And I promise you, by the end, they may have been annoyed with us, but they knew that Mississippi was at Bon Clarkin. Parker specifically said when he went to go get his Camp Champ shirt, Mississippi! It was awesome. It was really awesome. Uh, so there's intense competition. Uh, there's also the, the fun of learning new and amazing things about each other. For instance, did you know that there's at least one young lady in our midst who, though she looks young on the outside, is in fact a grandma on the inside? They know what I'm talking about. There's also one young lady who, while she may seem very unimposing on the outside, is in fact stronger than a hundred men, is a beast, in fact. It's amazing. Thank you for that. Um... We also learned that one of the follically challenged people besides me in the room, actually he's not in the room right now, uh, that he once had long curly hair and that he's also like a disc golf champion. It's, it's amazing to see how good he was at disc golf. And then finally, the only person I'll mention by name, Mr. Ben over here, he can run everywhere he goes up mountains, down mountains, and never get tired. It is the most amazing thing that you will ever see in your life. So we learned all of this this week, all, and, and far more about each other. We learned all of these things while we were at camp. But, but on a more serious note, uh, I would say to you that for me, the best thing about camp, about camp uh, is the bind that is established between not only those who attended in this room, um, I don't know if you heard before we came out to worship. Uh, I was in my office. I hear all this noise right outside of my office. And it was a camp reunion the day after camp already happening in the hallway. Uh, there, there is a bond forged between our group, but also between all of those who are in attendance. And it's a bond that, that is forged through shared experience, all these things that we've talked about. It's a bond forged through various trials. There are challenges throughout the week. Uh, it's a bond that's formed despite all of our many differences, the places that we're from, our skin color, our voices, whatever it may be. It's a bond that is rooted in the worship and in the praise and in the purpose and in the salvation of the triune God who made us and who put us in that place. And it's a bond that will last a lifetime. All of, us, all of us will be able to look back and say, do you remember that time that Shepherd defended our honor in the sludge war? Or do you remember that time that, that we did this or that? We will share those memories for a lifetime. Now, I know that you feel like you have been to camp at this point, but there is a point to all of this. And the point is this, is as we turn now to Colossians chapter 4, as Paul sort of finishes up his letter here, what we, what we experienced at camp this week, on a small scale, what we find is it is a microcosm of what Paul presents to us here about the church as a whole. You know, 
these final greetings like this are a standard part of Paul's letters. Most of them have it, but, but this letter to the Colossians, along with the one to the Romans, they are, are sort of special in the fact that Paul takes so much space to give the final greetings. You'll notice here, he addresses a lot of people, and he addresses them with a lot of different issues, personal issues, instructions, requests that he has for them. And what I want us to see this morning is that as he addresses all these various issues, all of these various people, there is a bond that, that exists between all of them. There is a bond that even we now share with these people and we all share with one another. And it's a bond that we're going to see that was forged through shared experience. It was forged through trials, through differences through distance it, it was forged through the worship of God together and it is a bond that is intended not simply to last just a lifetime but it's a bond that is intended to last for all of eternity and so I'm calling this this morning lessons from camp because we're going to go back to camp several different times but really this this is lessons about the church. This is lessons about God's people and about how we are to act as those who have been united and joined together in our Savior. So with all of that in mind, let's look at, look at it together. The first thing that I want you to see here is the inseparable union of God's people. And again, I want you to notice that it is a union in Christ, Paul has spent all of this letter reminding these Colossians that they are united. They are in Jesus. And because they are in Jesus, united to him, they are united to one another. And they are united to one another despite their diversity. Now, I've already said this, but again, camp is a very diverse place. And so you get there, maybe not so much with your own people, but with the ones around you for sure. And you're kind of standoffish, and you kind of don't really know what to do with them. But by the end of the week, you know, no matter where you're from, no matter whether you're white or black or yellow or orange, maybe not orange, but that's an inside joke, sorry. Um, no matter your station in life, uh, a bond is formed. Well, notice here the, the diverse people, the variety of people that Paul addresses. You have Tychicus, who is a fellow worker with Paul. He, he's obviously a minister in some measure or another. But here, he is a messenger. Here, he is a letter carrier. You also have Onesimus, who we know is a slave, because we have Philemon later on, right? You have Aristarchus, who is a prisoner with Paul, but is also, with Mark and Justice, a converted Jew. You have Epaphras, who is the, the minister there to Colossian. You have Luke, who is a Gentile, a doctor, a historian. You have Nympha, who hosts a church in her house. And then you even have Dema, who we find out in 2 Timothy, eventually falls away from the faith. Now my point is that we could say a whole lot more about all of these different people's stories. But what we see immediately is that this is a big group with a widely varying background, widely varying stations in life, who under most normal circumstances would have no reason to interact, would have no reason to be joined together in any real way. Yet, as the people of God, they are 
truly united. This is a wonderful example of what Paul gives us. It's almost a commentary on chapter 3 and in verse 11. You almost have all of these people represented, right? Remember, he said they're here in Christ. There is no Greek and there is no Jew. There is no circumcised and uncircumcised. No barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free. But Christ is all and in all. Imagine Onesimus, a slave, interacting with these men of the faith. Imagine him interacting with people who are above his station. Imagine Luke, a Gentile, interacting with these Jews. That's what we have here as Paul concludes his letter. He reminds them, you are united together in Christ. Also noticed here that it is a union that exists despite friction. Despite friction. Again, we, we talked about Onesimus. He had every reason to kind of distance himself from the crew. He had every distance to feel a certain way about all of these people around him. Yet it's clear that, that he doesn't do that. In fact, Philemon is about that, trying to make sure that they respect Onesimus the way that they should. But then you also have Mark here. You remember the story of Mark in Acts chapter 13. He had been traveling around with Paul. And for whatever reason, he decides to abandon the ministry there. He decides to go back home. And you remember in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas wants to bring him back. He wants to take him out on the journey again. And Paul refuses to the point that there is a great divide between Paul and Barnabas. They end up going their separate ways. And so this is a person who there's the least bit amount of, of friction around. And yet here, it seems that somehow... They have been reconciled. And not only have they been reconciled, but now Paul is even commending Mark to these believers in Colossians. The church is here, obviously, a place for forgiveness. It is a place to love one another. It is a place to lay aside those differences and disagreements for the good, the glory of God, and for the good of all of those who are a part of God's people. And we do it all because that's what we have received ourselves from Christ. And so union exists. It's not that the friction didn't happen, but it exists despite the friction. And then lastly, it exists despite distance. And we've already mentioned this, so I won't, I won't belabor it. But it is interesting to note there in verse 16 that he says, take this letter and read it at Lady Osea, and take the letter that I sent to them, and you read it in your midst. In other words, the, the concerns, the issues that Paul had for the Colossians are the same concerns and issues that he had for those at Lady Osea, and the love that he had for those believers there is the same love that he had for the ones in Galatia, or, or Philippi, or Corinth, or wherever it may be. Now, why is that? Well, despite great distance, despite the fact that most of these people probably never would have seen each other face to face, because you think communication in that time was much harder than it is now, despite all of that, they are bonded as God's people. Now, look, that was a lot, uh, but what does all of this mean for us? And here's what I want to say to you this morning. We, just like these Colossians, actually with these Colossians, 
have been united together. If we are believing in Christ, we have been united together as God's people. And that's important for two different reasons. One, what a witness our diversity is to a lost and dying world. I don't have to tell you that we are living in a world where people are looking for somewhere where they can go and find acceptance despite their differences. They're looking for a place where they can go and find acceptance maybe despite distances, despite friction. But the the problem is, is there's nowhere in the world where that seems to be true. Well, Friends, in Christ, in the church, that is true. Here is the place where we can go and despite our differences, be united as one. Now to be sure, they're all under the word of God. But it is a witness to a lost and dying world that the only way we can have justice and union and peace among each other is to find it in Christ. This is also important for us, right? And this will lead us into our our second point for today. This is also important for us as God's people. We need to be united so that we can support one another, so that we can rest in one another. That leads us to our second point, which is the shared story of God's people. Now, in some way, this has kind of been the, the emphasis that Paul has been giving us from the beginning. You know, he heard from Epaphras the story of the Colossians, and so he has spent four chapters addressing all of the various issues that are going on there. But notice, even for Paul, it's not a one-way street. Paul is not interested in just giving them instructions and that being the end of the story. No, here he also wants them to know about his circumstances. He wants them to know about the things that are going on in his own life. You see that there in verses 8 and verse 9. Now look, to be sure, if camp is nothing else, it is a shared story in maybe the most real way. Uh, If you had walked in our cabin, the boys' cabin, uh, Friday morning, you would have known how shared it was. Um, In fact, a person who will remain nameless ended up wearing some of my clothes by the time that the week was over with. Uh, we, were, we were literally sharing life together. But you know, often the best part of that shared story happens during the time that's known as family time. And so, you know, after every worship service, we'll go and we'll go back to the, the cabin and we'll sit down together as a family, as a youth group. Uh, And we'll just kind of have time to unwind and unpack and and talk about the things that were important, talk about the things that we heard. And it's usually there uh, that that things get a little bit more uh, intimate, a little bit more real. Certainly that's the place where we ask a a whole lot of questions. The result of that time, both for, for us at camp and also for Paul here as he shares his story, is threefold. One, it encourages us. As Ben mentioned already this morning, in that time, we are able to encourage one another by saying, hey, I struggle with that too. I know exactly what that's right. Hey, you're not alone in what you're feeling right now. We can lift each other up. We can edify each other. We can help present each other with full assurance. That's what he tells Epaphras to do there. 
We also grow, and we grow in two ways. We grow together as a group through that, that sludge war competition or just through competitions in general, through family time. We grow in our love as a group together. We also grow individually. And look, at the the last night, we we challenged the kids with this, and I want to challenge you with this as well. Paul here tells Epaphras to present them mature. What he means by that is as God's people, we are meant to hold each other accountable. We, We are meant to remind each other over and over and over again of God's word to us and to each other. We're meant to help each other grow in the faith. And look, that's a hard thing to do, and we talked about that. To to challenge your peers is hard. To receive that challenge in a constructive way is hard. But the reason that we can do it is because we know that we're doing it out of the love of Christ, the love of Christ for one another. The conversations that we can have in the church are like conversations we can have nowhere else because we know the basis of that conversation is rooted in the one who has saved us. We love one another and so we tell each other the hard things, the good things. We do it together. We share it. And then thirdly here, we share life together because it teaches us how to pray for one another. In verse 12, Paul says that Epaphras has prayed for the Colossians. He prays for them hard. He struggles for them. You think about Paul in Philippians, how he had prayed for those people. And then in verse 18, Paul says, remember my chains. You know, he's in prison right now. Essentially, he's saying, pray for me. Friends, our prayer lives should be taken up Not just with our needs, not just with our concerns, but with the needs and the concerns and the cares of all of these people around you. That should be the heart of our prayer lives. Praying for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And that's what Paul calls these Colossians to do here. And so they they share life together. Now, Part of that that challenge that I gave them on that last night uh, was reminding them that that as we share this life together, we serve a sovereign God. And Ben mentioned this in his prayer earlier, uh, but he's a sovereign God, and we learned that this week in our uh, Bible studies, but, but he doesn't do anything by chance. And that includes bringing our youth group together for this time, for this place, and it includes bringing you here right now to this place to be a part of New Albany Presbyterian Church. It's not an accident that you are sitting here today. God has joined us together intentionally to share life together, to share our joys and our disappointments, our struggles, our experience, the things that we go through. He intends for us to use those not just for us, but for all of these people around us. And friends, what a joy and what a privilege that is. I told the kids Friday night, don't neglect it. Don't don't take what you have here as a group for granted. And I would say that to every single one of us here. You were not intended to do life by yourself. 
if anybody had the reason to try to do it by himself, it was Paul. And he didn't do it by himself. Jesus didn't do it by himself. You weren't made for that. You were made to do it in communion and in union with God's people. And so, as God's people, live life together. Finally, in this passage, I want you to notice the, the ministry of God's people. And you see it there uh, in verse 18. But before we get there, let me remind you that at the beginning in chapter 1, he began this book by declaring grace over them right in chapter 1. And in verse 2, he says, Grace to you and peace from God the, our Father. And then there at the very end of the letter, he concludes it with grace. He bookends it, the whole book, with grace. And in a real way, the whole exposition of the book is about grace. Grace in Christ. Grace in who he is. Grace in what he's done for our lives. It's all about that grace. Grace in Christ. And so as we conclude our study, what I want you to recognize is it is that grace that is the basis and is the, the content of the ministry that Paul now gives to God's people, now gives to the Colossians. Because they have experienced grace, they now are to stand in the will of God there in verse 12. What does that mean to stand in the will of God? Well, it means a lot of things, but it, it, it maybe most importantly means to stand in obedience. Now again, we, we talked about this this week at camp. We talked about how we are to now go out and to live our lives faithfully in obedience. The, the pastor there used Romans chapter 12. You know that passage well. Therefore, based off the mercies of God, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't, don't be conformed to the world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Body, soul, all of it. Complete transformation, which is what Paul has presented us here in Colossians. Complete obedience, which is what we were saved for, according to Ephesians 1-4, right? You were saved to be holy. But friends, here's the, the, the better part of that. Not only is it what God has intended to do in us, but if we know our story, if we know the story of Colossians, the, the theme for camp this week was fall. We were looking at the, the big narrative of Scripture, right? Fall, no, not fall, creation, fall, redemption and restoration or recreation at the end, right? And the point as we got to that last night is if you know that story, then your heart cannot help but be overwhelmed with love for this one who has done so much for you. This one who should have cut it off at Genesis 3 and said, that's the end of the story. There is no more story. And he kept going. And so we, we live in his will. We live in obedience because we know his heart. And we know it is a heart who loves us. And we now, with overflowing hearts ourselves, want to live for him. Also, as those who've experienced that grace, he calls us here to go out and to share the good news. Uh, you see that there in verse 17 with this apparently new minister archipus he says see to it that that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the lord now to be sure 
Archippus is apparently called to the faith, right? He, or called to the ministry. He's called to go out and to preach the word. And, and we may say, well, this doesn't apply to me. Uh, but I think we've recognized last or two weeks ago in Colossians that this is a call that goes out to all of us. And that's obvious here as he addresses all of these various people. Again, you have Tychicus, who is a minister, a letter carrier. You have Onesimus. You have Barnabas, who is an encourager. You have Nympha, who just has a, a, a Bible study in her house. We'll say the church meets in her house. And you have the, the Colossian church as a whole. And what I want to encourage you with today is with all of these variety of people, all of these variety of roles, I'm sure many of them thought, and I'm not doing much for the kingdom of God. Again, Tychicus there. Essentially, his job is to carry letters around. And you think, man, that's, that's not very much. But today, I don't, good or bad, we're studying Colossians chapter 4 because Tychicus was faithful in his work for Christ. You think about Paul, uh, Barnabas' encouragement and the churches that he was able to, to help. You think about Colossae. It's gone now, but what they have done for God's people as a whole. My point to you is you may not feel like you can do very much for God's kingdom. And yet God can take small things, carrying letters. He can take small things, working at VBS. He can take small things, encouraging, uh, an encouraging word. And he can do great things with it. Not just great things, friends, but eternal things. It may seem insignificant. It may seem small. They're not small in God's economy. No, he says there, all of this is for the kingdom of God. They are workers for the kingdom of God in verse 11. That's an eternal kingdom. And so the work done for it will last forever. And then finally, as we bring it to a close. Uh, notice that all of this uh, grace causes us to glorify and to worship our Savior. Now you may say, I'm kind of forcing that from this passage, and maybe I am, but if you read there, it's obvious that the letter is meant to be read in the, the joining of the church as a whole, in the congregation as a whole. And I'd also say as we consider the theme of the book, what or who has been the theme of the book as a whole? It's Jesus, right? All along, he has been pointing us to Jesus over and over and over again, teaching us to love and to adore this one who has saved us. And friends, to be sure, that is our chief end. It's our chief end as individuals, and it is our chief end as a group. This is the last camp example I'm going to give you, and you won't have to hear anything else about it. But I told you all of my favorite things about camp, but if you were to ask the kids, and I encourage you to do that, if you were to ask them, I guarantee you somebody is going to say that they loved the music. And that's true for two reasons. One is because it's, you know, modern hymns, some of them with a full band, and it's, you know, it's, it's different than what we're used to. But it's great. It's really good. And I think they love it for that. But I also think another reason why they love it so much is because when you get in a room with three or four hundred other believers and you join your voice together with them singing praise to the one who has saved us, it's hard not to be moved. You know, sometimes I'll sing and I'll just stop and I'll listen to all these little voices 
singing these songs together. And it's hard not to let your eyes fill with tears. It's hard not to be reminded that, hey, this is what we were made to do. We were made to sing praises to our King. It's hard not to be reminded that this is what we're going to do for all of eternity. We're going to worship our King. That verse at the top of your bulletin, wherever it is, and I've lost my bulletin, so I'm not going to be able to read it to you, but I want you to read it. It's from the Revelation. You have that great multitude that's gathered around uh, the, the throne of God. And what are they doing? They're singing His praises. We get a, a taste of that here, right now, in just a second. We're going to join our voices together, and we're going to sing. And at camp, we sang several different songs, some of them that are going to become a part of our rotation on Wednesday nights. But one of them that we sang, it says this, Worthy of every song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. What we know is that he is worthy of it all. And so as his people, Paul calls us not only here in this passage, but in this book, those who are united together, those who share life together, to now worship this king. And friends, again, what an example this is to the world outside. They look at Jesus and they say, is he really worth all of this? And every time we join together like this, every time we join together at camp and we sing together, what we are saying to a lost world is, yes, he is worthy of everything. He is worthy to set our time aside. He is worthy to sing to. He is worthy to praise. And we know it because he lives in our heart. And he has given us everything. And so, there it is. Uh, a lot of lessons from camp. More importantly, a, a lot of lessons from this book of Colossians. It took us longer to get through it than I thought it would, uh, but that's usually the case. Uh, and I pray that, that it has been an encouragement to you. Uh, and I pray that the Lord has used it in a mighty way. Let's go to him now in a time of prayer. Father God, we are so thankful uh, that you have given us Jesus, uh, this one who existed before all things, who created all things, uh, but who has now come and who has saved us and who is seated at your right hand even now. And we pray uh, that as he has united us to himself, that you would remind us he has also united us together, uh, and that as your people, we would learn to live uh, in that union, that we would learn to, to share life together, that we would learn our purpose as your people to go out and to spread the good news and to do encourage one another, that, to help each other grow, to help present each other with full assurance of faith. And most importantly, that we might worship you because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. Uh, God, we, we ask that, that you would uh, just continue to bless us as your people here at New Albany. We thank you for the way that we see you doing that through the years and the way that we've seen you do that even in the past week. Uh, and Lord, we, we are so uh, overwhelmed with your grace to us. Uh, and Lord, we pray that we would go out and we would live in that grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.